here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com at the Can Project Podcast on Spreaker.com or you can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com for as little as one euro a month plus fat. You can help contribute. We do need help, so check us out on either Patreon or Spreaker.com. Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? Do you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people? Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature, or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20 plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring, and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other. Help us all. And hello! You're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And I'm your co-host and project coordinator, Shane McKay. I'm your co-host and project coordinator, Christopher Sneed. We focus on open and inclusive dialogue, and if you like what we do, you can sign up for our Patreon free for, ad, for ad-free downloads. Now, we have a very exciting guest here today, Colleen Medicine from the AAIA. And, uh... Yeah, that's it. I have to borrow here, but to, just to let the audience know, that's it's an organisation we've had on before with the CEO Shannon O'Loughlin, and it's the Association on American Indian Affairs. And you'll find our website at Indian-Affairs.org. And we highly, highly recommend that people go and check out the great work that the AAIA are doing. They're going since 1922, so they're well-established. I definitely recommend people go and check out that previous show that we did with Shannon O'Loughlin. Um, you'll find that on our Spreaker archives for free. And I'll just read out Colleen's uh, bio here. Um, so Colleen Medicine is the program director with the Association on American Indianas, Indian Affairs. She is a citizen of the Salt... How do I pronounce it, Chris? Sorry. So, so the re-tribe of the uh, Chi Pewa, I think. I'll have to be forgiven for my pronunciations. We'll get that off. We'll get the correct. Indians. And our family roots come from Mackinac Island, Michigan. Colleen has spent her entire career working within Indian country and has held several positions within tribal governments and non-profits. Colleen has extensive experience working in repatriation and sees no greater honour than assisting in the return of ancestors and their objects. Colleen holds a Bachelor of Science degree in public administration with a minor in American Indian Studies from Central Michigan University. Colleen also holds a Master's degree in International Administration with a focus on international repatriation, also from Central Michigan University. Colleen is also very proud to be an Indigenous breastfeeding counsellor and a lifetime... And I'll have to get Colleen to pronounce that one now. <laughs> Language learner. Uh, Anishabawan? 
no, I can't do. Sorry, Shane. Sorry, That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Did you get all the way through it there? Yeah. Oh, you did. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, some of the stuff we're going to be talking about came up there during the bio, but we're going to be focusing on the the importance of language, the protection of sacred places, animals, and landscapes, repatriation, intergenerational trauma, and murdered and missing Indigenous women. And um, they're all subjects that are very dear to me myself and Chris's heart. So we are absolutely delighted to invite Colleen Medicine here to Can Projects. And without further ado, if I press the right button, there we go. Hi, Colleen. Hi. Ani Bojo. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. You're very welcome, August. Uh, to Faltermore Roth, which is, you're very more than welcome here. Um, I love that. Is there is there any way that I could um, give my uh, traditional introduction just so yes. oh, we dive into the topics? Just because I've been taught by the elders um, in my communities that if we're going to talk about these hard things that impact our community, we should alert spirit to that. And so, if you if you didn't if you don't mind, no, you no, no, that, absolutely, yeah. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, just want to say, Ani Bojo, Wabshkes ni kwe indigenous cause. Nakanaminising in Donjaba, Gichijian Azak again, Mont Pidida, Danjabam Kak Makanaminising, Segana, um, um, Nginjindaris, um, uh, Sault Ste. Marie tribe in Chippewa Indians in Dodabindagwas, Michigan, Dodem, Ojibwe, and Shabi Queen down. Um, so good morning, everyone. I just mm-hmm. want to say my, um, my, my family comes from Mackin Island, Michigan. And I'm Turtle Clan and a citizen of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians. And my spirit name is White Rock Woman. My English name, of course, is Colleen Medicine. Um, so I just wanted to, to do that just in honor of what I've been taught. And, and I appreciate the, the space to do that. No, so. that thanks so much. Oh, That's that beautiful. Was, that, was, mm, that, that, was, that Your language is actually very kind of musical, isn't it? It has, has a cadence to it, like... It's so exciting. Well, and it's maybe because I've been, you know, I've said my introduction, you know, hundreds of thousands of times probably. And so it it probably comes off like that, but it's actually like we use the double vowel system and the, and the word you were looking for is Anishinaabemowin. Um, That's the name of the language. When you, 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 that word that you couldn't say, it's Anishinaabemowin. Again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. It just, it caught me off guard with the. No, that's okay. Oh geez, it took me forever to 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 learn how to talk to speak it all in this in our language, right? Mm-hmm. So um I thought you did pretty good for the first time. <laughs> yeah, effort effort counts for a lot as well, I think. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important. We were just chatting briefly there off air about like how language really it, it is really it's so important, you know, because I for me, I mean, we we've spoken a little bit about it on here, but there, it, there's like um there's like a cultural imprint that kind of that's in language, I think, you know, and um, it, the, the part of the identity is kind of lodged in there, you know, because it's been over a long period of time has developed, you know, and and even even regionally in Ireland as well, like even like people who speak Irish, like the dialect can be so different, like only like 30 miles away. But it's like it's there's kind of an attitude. It's an attitude as well as as a dialect, you know, it's kind of yeah. a, the, the, the local the local kind of um, sentiment is in the language, like, you know. Um, 
the, the, even with the regional music, you get that as well. But we're, we're off on the tangent yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just going to say, well, if, I mean, if we're going to talk about language, I'm here for it, but I don't take the next hour for me to get my point across. So <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's great. Well, I suppose before, just before we get into into the language stuff, I'd love to ask you, Colleen, you're, you're, the, you're the program director at the AIA. So how did you actually first get involved in that role? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. So I've been with the Association on American Indian Affairs uh, for about almost a year and a half now. And so um, I was working at the tribal government level uh, prior to that in repatriation. And of course, the association um, does a lot of work in and around repatriation as well. And so um, while I was at the tribal government level working for my own tribe, I was connected to the association and had known Shannon, the CEO, for quite some time. So um, I was already kind of partnering with them on different projects and attending some meetings. I attended the yearly conference. And so when this position kind of came open, I was so excited at the thought of working for the association on a little grander of a, a level, more national-based level, and then also working alongside Shannon because she's, you know, absolutely fierce and amazing. So um, it, it kind of just felt like that kind of worked out. And so I've been with the association now almost a year and a half, and um, it's been absolutely amazing, the, the programming and the things we've been able to do on you know, on behalf of the people, right? So uh, it's been exciting. And uh, so that's kind of how I got involved. And um, and what was the second part of the question? <laughs> uh, well, this, it was actually a follow-on question, I suppose. Um, well, I suppose your role, do you want to tell us like specifically more about what, what, as a, what, what you're doing? Sure. Well, so the association, and I'm sure that Shannon mentioned this when she talked with you, is 100 years old this year. Mm. And so we have, you know, this giant, you know, timeline in history of all of this program work that's been done over the years and it's morphed and it's shifted, right? Based off of the, you know, current issues and then staff and, and, and volunteers and all those things, right? Um, but, but when I came in last year, we had about, about 12 program areas that we were working in. Um, and some of those, I just want to highlight, you know, juvenile justice, Indian child welfare, repatriation, um, public education, you know, protecting the sacred. And that includes, you know, um, more than just sacred sites. We're talking about sacred places, sacred landscapes, sacred animals, you know, um, all, all of the things that make us who we are. Um, and and um, we have a scholarship program. We, we have a summer camp program um, that's more localized and regional that we, um, we have uh, each year. Uh, we fund several different of those smaller summer camps, and we're also working on a national summer camp initiative. And so we've, we've got a lot going on. And so kind of my tasks and a lot of what I've been doing in the last year was, first of all, getting my feet wet because um, it was a learning curve for me. Um, and, and second of all, it's kind of just... Um, you know, we, we've worked a lot on um, looking towards the future to the next hundred years and what makes sense for our current programs and what makes sense to change, right? Because the issues have changed. And as we look towards the next hundred years, things are, you know, going to change in a hundred years. So, how, um, and so a lot of what we've been doing is really um, finding that commonality among all of our programs. And that is really intergenerational healing. So, mm. Um, we've, we're working really hard to kind of figure out 
um, instead of looking at the past because it, it, it's full of you know trauma and uh, intergenerational trauma and you know atrocities and dignities for Native people, um, it's looking to the future and figuring out you know how we as a national organization that has a, a grassroots level effort because we are on the ground and we do care deeply about the people we serve and we form those relationships. How can we bring about intergenerational healing through our program areas? And what are we going to do to kind of change the narrative and move the dial in the other direction? And so um, all that said, uh, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up and I'm looking forward to it. And of course, we have an annual repatriation conference that's going to be in October this year. And so we're, we're just wildly busy over here. And, and really, I think, you know, if I could sum it all up, you know, the most important part of my job is, you know, serving the people um, and, and that we, you know, that we work with. So serving Indian country. And so the, the best that I can do that through our program areas, um, you know, that's my goal at the end of the day. So. Mm, that's wonderful. You know, and I have to say, I really do think um, that, that, that I really, really find the approach of the AAIA very, very refreshing. And I think it's mm. actually it's something that we can all actually learn from, you know, as far as uh, a global healing, you know, um, that I, I, it's, it's something we do advocate a lot on here, you know, that, that there is a sickness in society that really needs to be addressed and just kind of pretending that it's not there is really not going to, um, no. not going to help. But I really like that approach of, well, we got to look to the future actually, um, you know, and. Well, remember the past and look to the future. Sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, when we had Shannon on, we, we, we spoke, we touched on language a bit and she told us a story that we really found so inspiring about as uh, it, 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 it was a school of young kids that she went to and they were all speaking the native tongue and it was, I, I'm not, I can't, you'd probably be able to tell us uh, I'm not sure what language it was, but it, it was almost totally lost that language and it was basically kind of pieced together a bit at a time and using old wax cylinders and all kinds of stuff. Um, so can you tell us, can you kind of tell us a bit more about that, about those efforts to kind of rejuvenate the language or language, languages, I should say, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and that's a great question. And I just want to say like the association in the past, um, you know, some sometime in the last hundred years has has done a little um, with language, right? Um, there was a Lakota language project at some point that the association was involved in, but we're not currently like involved in any specific language or programs or projects. However, you know, our Protect the Sacred uh, program area includes, you know, the protection of language. And we understand that, you know, the people we serve in Indian country, what makes them who they are as sovereign, you know, native nations is their language. And so we're very supportive from, from the association on, on the tribal efforts. But so let me, then let me go down to the, the tribal level. So there's 574 federally recognized tribes or 575. Gosh, darn it. I mean, okay. I, uh, I think it's 574. Look, when, when you're in it, when you're in an association as big as the AAIA, there's so many numbers on so many different things that it can be hard to keep them in track. Like, I know, but that's one I should know. I think it's five. I think it's 574 federally recognized tribes. There's um, there's over 300 uh, other Native nations who might be state recognized or locally recognized. 
um, and, and among, you know, so each of them have their own language, right? And, 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 but, but some of them, you know, um, some languages have, you know, um, you know, slowly they're, they're not, I maybe extinct or they've, they've changed, morphed into different dialects, things like that. Cause I think the last, um, kind of statistic I heard is that there's currently documented, and this is just documented by the feds, right? So, you know, take, take that with what you will. Um, I think there's over 180 documented um, indigenous languages here in the U.S. Um, currently spoken. So that means it, it hasn't, you know, died with the elders or the ancestors that's currently being spoken. Um, and so each tribe, you know, has the, the, the right to have their own language um, programs. And a lot of them do have their language revitalization efforts. A lot of them have um, you know, language instructors that are teaching online programs. And one of the things that I think is so beautiful about COVID, if you can find anything beautiful about COVID, is that so many tribes move their language programs online. And so mm. um, what was really, really nice is that it offered language to everybody anywhere. And so it's been like kind of this little movement, I think, um, you know, uh, through COVID and kind of as we're moving closer to, you know, seeing a, a light at the end of the COVID tunnel, um, we, I see a lot of people taking language classes now, like this really big movement. Mm. And, um, you know, in, in shout out to the Malax Band of Ojibwe in Minnesota, they partnered with Rosetta Stone and created a whole uh, curriculum of Anishinaabemo in my language um, that they, they, um, have this beautiful Rosetta Stone project going on. And so there's a ton of language revitalization efforts. It's at the tribal colleges. We see it in classrooms now. We see even states kind of changing their curriculum slowly, 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 but but some of them have and included more um, of the, you know, the truth of the history, but also have, you know, focused on including some language and, and we see, you know, tribes kind of um, creating resources and documents and pushing language out. Um, so all that said, I think there are a ton of language revitalization efforts happening throughout Indian country. Um, I, and it's so important. If I could say anything about language, it's, it's that we are only who we are because of it. And without it, we are nothing. We might as well pack up shop. We might as well, you know you know, tell the federal government, we don't even want our sovereignty anymore because without it, we aren't a sovereign nation. And that's part of what makes us who we are. And yeah. so I think, I think, I think Colleen, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Um, you're touching on something there that, that it, it, it's like language is like, it's like a living history almost, you know what I mean? So it's like, if it's like, if we lose that, that we, we are, we're, we're losing an, an essence, I think. Well, We'll be back with more from the Cam Projects podcast after these short messages. Here at Cannes, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue and sometimes a bit of literature as well. So Chris, we're gonna we're we're opening up a new chapter in the readings, the classic stories for Chris Needs. Yeah, we're gonna be starting on the time machine, which is a classic, classic HG Wells novel. It's a classic for a reason as well, because it's really, really good. I love it. It's been made into a film a few times, and uh, sometimes musicals, audio dramas. Chris Sneed, Classic Readings. Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? 
like you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people. Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature, or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20 plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring, and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other. Help us all. You're all very welcome back to the Can Projects podcast. Without it, we aren't a sovereign nation. And that's part of what makes us who we are. And so... I think, I think, Colleen, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Um, you're touching on something there that, that it, it, it's like language is like, it's like a living history almost, you know what I mean? So it's like, if it's like, if we lose that, that we, we are, we're, we're losing an, an essence, I think. Well, like one of the first steps of colonization is to make them speak your language, really. That, yeah. you know, that happened here, happens everywhere like yeah the first step is no we're not going to learn your language you learn our language and use our language you know because that's a way of just subjugating it's you know it takes away the spirit like yeah or tries to anyway Mm. yeah well and that i mean that's exactly what happened here with the boarding schools Mm. yeah and in canada right so familial structures take away language and culture yeah and then and then push you know the the colonizer agenda. <laughs> yeah, it's like the assimilation practices, isn't that? That's kind of generally, yeah. And we talked a lot about that with Shannon as well. They're the same tactics implemented by Adolf Hitler um, uh, and a lot of other nasty people. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's something I would like to ask you. Oh, I just, as soon as we're on, as soon as we're on the topic, actually, the Second World War. This is just, a, I suppose, a tidbit to mention. Mm, um, interesting bit of history, all right? Yeah, for people who might not have heard this, but there, there, there were native languages implemented during the set that kind of like really pushed the efforts over the line with the coding and the and was it there was it was it was Choctaw and Navajo were two of the big ones, I think, Colin. Yeah. Was it that were used as the like? The unbreakable code to combat it was the Enigma machine on 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 the German side, um, or the Nazi side. I should probably say, I shouldn't, maybe should say German side, really. Um, but yeah, I know. I just I find that really interesting, and that's kind of like that should be like that should be celebrated, you know. And it's like it's kind of few and far between people who actually know that. I mean, probably people who know their history well would probably have come across it, but it's. Um, it's not really uh, mentioned in many big sources, like, you know? Yeah, well, well, let me say this, like, you know, the, the, the Native American population here in the U.S., I think is, it's like between one and two percent total, right, of the, of the population. But we serve in, in the, the military and the armed forces at the highest rate. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And, and when, you know, I hear the elders talk about it, like they often talk about how, you know, we come from warrior societies. And so even though, you know, we're in this colonized world, that's still a way for our people to be the warriors that our ancestors were. And so 
we see Native serving, you know, in that capacity at, at the highest rate than any other race, you know, or ethnicity. So that is insane to me because we are like almost essentially the smallest population here in the U.S. Um, and so to, to kind of circle back to that, I, I want to say that like, you know, isn't it ironic <laughs> that, um, you know, that, that our, our indigenous languages, you know, were so helpful in, in so many different ways when, when they tried to take it all away from us and then realize it could be helpful, you know? And um, those Navajo co-talkers oh man incredible and and then also there were Choctaw there were Ojibwe there were um I won't do this part any justice because there were smaller different kind of uh wars or, or different events that took place that many indigenous languages were used but you don't hear about that stuff because why would the government want to celebrate the fact that they had to rely on indigenous people to save their ass? Yeah. The very people they tried to stamp out and eradicate, you know, with, yeah. with literally tried to kill us off extermination. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if you saw this in the news and, and gosh, I don't even know if I should bring this up, but do you remember um, during um, at some point during the Trump administration, there, the, the Navajo, there was a, a survivor of the Navajo or Navajo co-talkers that, went to the to the white house and so um there was some sort of celebration for for that gentleman but you know mm. i i think that um you know our languages are so beautiful and 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 they are you know they can be helpful um in that regard and i will say this all my passwords are in anishinaabem one in my own language and i've never been my profiles have never been hacked <laughs> and on any thing anything so all i'm saying is that you know, I think that um, our, our languages is still valid and, and you well, know, you know still we, couldn't be cracked. our languages still couldn't be cracked. <laughs> well, we, we really we really like to talk about the value and importance of diversity and, and inclusion here. And that's exactly what you're talking about and what the Nazi agenda was trying to push and fascism tries to push is just have everybody basically under the same thumb. And it's like the furthest thing from nature that you can probably get, really, in my opinion, you know, I mean, Excuse me. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of ironic, but isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it just kind of poetic justice, really? You know, um, you know, it really is. So, we, we, there was a question I was going to kind of ask you there, but we've, we've touched on it to do with like kind of how has uh, the, 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 the the social landscape around indigenous language uh, developed over the last, you know, few like. The last hundred years, and then gone further back, and you're you're telling us how actually it's it's great to see uh, uptake in, in in interest now and enthusiasm. You know, that's really what I'm really I'm really excited to to hear about that. Um, but I suppose to 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 move on, we're talking in general about um you know language as a sacred thing, but we we're going to talk also about land and the landscape and the environment as sacred. So for people. And there will be people who are not, I mean, this is one of the big reasons we would we, we love to have the AI on, AI on here is to learn more, you know, and, 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 and to get these ideas and messages out there. So I'd love to ask you, um, you know, what is, what is that, what is the relationship that Indigenous people do have with, with, with the landscape and the land? And I know that's kind of a deep question, but I'd love you just to kind of get into that a little bit, if you can. Yeah. And, and I have a story that I share with people every time this kind of question comes up because, 
and it has come up frequently lately because we've been, you know, and I'm saying land back. You might have read, might have read that, yeah. heard that, that kind of uh, hashtag land back, or you know, seen it on some of those um, amazing new shows that feature, you know, native actors and stuff. So anyway, um, I have a story that's not necessarily mine to tell, but I have permission to tell it, and um, and it does actually support, um, you know, the protection of sacred land. So um, I will say that it's not my story to tell, but it was shared with us publicly. And so I do use it to explain what the land means to native people. And it's the only way that I can explain it. So bear with me for just a second. Um, So this story starts and it's about a place called um, Oak Flat. And if if anyone um, is interested in learning more about Oak Flat, all you have to do is Google it because it's part of this big um, land exchange that is kind of um, held up in, in the courts and stuff right now and the, the legal red tapes and, and whatnot. And what it basically is, is that it would um, exchange, you know, a couple thousand acres for another piece of a couple thousand acres. And part of the exchange includes a sacred site, a sacred place, a sacred um, uh, a landscape um, that includes Oak Flat. And it's sacred to Um, very specifically sacred to the San Carlos Apache, but a lot of other tribes um, are, are, um, are have, uh, or have used the land in a sacred way, but the San Carlos Apache are the the most closely related to that land. Right. And um, so the, the, some of the San Carlos Apache, some of their allies, their friends and other tribes kind of um, created this, nonprofit called the Apache Stronghold. And it's basically a nonprofit that kind of exists really to, to, to talk about why Save Oak or why Oak Flat is sacred, why it should be protected and um, kind of, you know, dives into, you know, whatever they can do to protect the site, whether that's, you know, on the ground specifically there in person or through legal stuff or public education outreach to the, the, the federal government, whatever it is. So they are working very hard to protect this site, right? We invited some of those uh, those members of the Apache Stronghold to our seventh annual repatriation conference hosted by the association and this was back in November of 2021 so just about six six months ago or so um and we had a panel discussion with the, those uh, um, Apache stronghold members some of which are also San Carlos uh, or I think all of them were San Carlos Apache tribal members and they talked about this site in a way that I had never heard uh anyone else talk about the land in that way and it's the only thing that clicked in my mind. It it changed everything for me from that day forward. And so they were talking about their connection to this land because they keep saying these things to these big companies who have, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, uh, you know, they're multi-billion dollar companies, they're extractive industry, billion dollar companies. And they, they have, you know, all the bells and whistles and the money and all the things. And so what what they were talking about is what they have. And um, they have this connection to the land. They have this spirituality. And he said, it's not just because this is in our homelands. No, it's not just because, um, you know, our, our we can go there and we, we see medicine. It, nope, it's not just because there's, you know, water that flows there. Nope, that's not just it. And he kept saying these things and saying, that's not just it. And, I'm, and in my mind, I'm like, 
Well, what could it be? You know, because those are all important things already. And you know, the they they do their rites of passage there for their young women. And and so they have these ceremonies, seasonal ceremonies there. They have, you know, so many things that make them who they are are based off of this specific place. So if it's not all of that, what else could it be? And he said, we're not just connected to the land because of the physical things that you see, the water, the medicines, the landscape, you know. He said, it's it's like this. There was a time when the Apache were getting chased out of our lands. And he said, and some of them went willingly, right? Because that's a choice that our ancestors had to make, that very difficult choice. Should they stay or should they go? And he said, but some of them didn't. Some of them decided to stay. And some of them stayed on that particular place. And they were getting chased by the colonizers. They were getting chased. And there's a place at Oak Flat that comes to a cliff. And their ancestors were running. And they knew they knew their ending. They didn't have a choice. It was either stand at the top of that cliff and get killed. Or they were going to jump and, and go out with dignity like the warriors that they were. And he said, and they all stood there and they decided collectively they were all going to jump. He said, so they did. And their bodies soaked into the earth there. And so he said, it's like our ancestors gave their lives on this land. And there's there's nothing that can connect us more than the very DNA that we share today inside of us exists in this land from our ancestors. And he was like, so that's, it that's what it is we are intrinsically and inherently connected to the land above and beyond all the things that you can see and wrap your mind around it's kind of that intangible like connection that spiritual connection that exists that you can't replace no matter what piece of land you give us if it has the same water if it has the same medicine it doesn't matter it's this land that our ancestors gave their life on and like until i had heard that i mean it gave me goosebumps and i was like Tears were just draining down my face because I hadn't realized it's like things I knew, but I hadn't heard it said like that. And I'm not even doing the story justice, you know, shout out to, um, you know, the, 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 the Apache stronghold and all of those, you know, tribal members out there who are fighting for that land. Some of them are living there right now just to protect it. I mean, they're giving their all for this land because their ancestors gave their all the ultimate gift, their life. So um, so that's what I have as an answer of like, you know, what the land means and how native people are connected to it. That's the best answer I can give. And I yeah. hope I did it justice. <laughs> no, you really did, Colleen. Thanks so yeah, much for that. That's a very good answer. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, cause I just, sorry, Chris. No, no, no. I've, I've lost the train of thought. I get into an emotional spiral there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> And that's the first part of two with Colleen Medicine from the AAIA, that's the Association on American Indian Affairs. And we highly recommend that you check out their website at indian-affairs.org. And they've also got a great podcast, Chris. Yeah, The Red Hoop Talks. It's available on YouTube and it's great because it really gives you a deep insight into the culture and heritage from a native perspective. Yeah, the tagline is Native News and Talk, and that's Red Hoop Talk. Yeah, great stuff from the AAIA. And yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to the second half here now. You know, yes, yeah, we got the second half com coming up. So everybody who's listening to this live stream, 
on Twitter, Facebook or YouTube. Hang around because the next show will be going live in the next five minutes or so. For the second part with Colleen Medicine, and it's a great show. Uh, we really recommend you stick around for some important information. So, Chris, are you going to go get yourself sorted and freshened and we'll be back in a few minutes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Have, have, have a quick uh, breather and a drink and things, you know. So we're just going to play the closing statement from, from the show that Colleen read out in her native tongue. Uh, which is at the end of the second part of the show, but we thought it was important to add it in here too. So we'll play that, and then we'll roll the credits, and we'll see you soon on the other side. Slang of folk. Slang, lads. <laughs> a parting phrase. Yeah, I don't have a cool phrase or anything, but uh, there is a word in, in my language I'd love to share with you and your listeners. And the, the word um, is a young guamazin. A young guamazin, and um, what it loosely translates to in English is like, um, go forward and be determined in your path, but also be careful. And mm. I, I think that's important as we have so many of us who are really fighting for these issues and really putting our hearts and minds into, you know, trying to make the world a little bit of a better place, you know, moving forward for the next generations. Like it's important for us, you know, go forward and be determined in in that mission, but also, you know, be careful because there's a lot of things out there that will try to sway us off the path and, and try to, you know, the negativity exists. So um, I say all that to say young Guamazin. Okay, thank you so much. And they're very wise and beautiful words. And that took a lot of explaining in English for, for such a short phrase, which I just think is beautiful too. Mm. So Colleen Medicine from the AAIA, that's uh, indian-affairs.org. We highly recommend you go and check out their work. They're constantly up doing some really important and great work for the communities. And um, Colleen, we'll bid you adieu for, for now. Wonderful. My character. Yeah. Okay, so means goodbye for now, friends. And the Can Project's email is canprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the Can Project's website in the description. All the best. Projects Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description.